You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. We're launching a new series today, soft launch last week, this week it's called I Gotta Know. Big questions answered by Jesus himself. And one of the ones I know you've heard is, well, what's a hypocrite? Who's a hypocrite? How do we not be hypocrites? And maybe the bigger question, how can we live righteous, honest, sincere lives? So my theme today is simple. Jesus calls us to be righteous when sometimes we just want to look the part. We just want to look like we're righteous. And that's a reality for all people. You know, there's always a sense we want to maybe look better than live better. So I travel around a lot in Ubers, taxis, and I happened to recently be picked up by an Uber. I, you know, ordered the Uber on my phone, and I was shocked when it said Jesus would be picking me up. <laughs> there it is. I took a screenshot. There it was. Your Uber is on the way. Jesus Five stars will arrive in six minutes, right? So there it is. First, I know it's not Jesus, it's Jesus. I know, but stay with me. But I knew it was not Jesus because no man knows the day or the hour, and this says six minutes, so I knew it wasn't Jesus because you wouldn't know the day or the hour. Second, he's coming in clouds of glory, not in an Uber, Third, I remember from the book of Revelation that Jesus holds seven stars, not five. <laughs> Though I do remember the song, Jesus Take the Wheel. So, um, but I saw a bumper sticker not that long ago that said, Jesus is coming soon, look busy. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Um, this next passage tells us that Jesus calls us to live right, to live righteous lives. Sometimes people just want to look the part, and maybe they think Jesus is coming soon, so they better straighten up. You know, kind of like when my parents would come home, I would quick clean up the house. And I confess, a few decades later, when Donna's away for a few days, me and the kids are quick cleaning up the house, Donna's coming home. So how do we get that kind of right living, that non-hypocritical living, where it's not waiting for Jesus to return or waiting for somebody to see, but we live because we should, I got to know. And Jesus has the answer. So Matthew chapter 6 is our text today. I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And if you have a Bible, you can follow along or turn your Bible on, follow along with me. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Quick, clean up, quick, straighten up. Beware not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with the trumpets. By the way, I do recognize the irony. We just had our offering and there were trumpets involved. But stay with me. 
Well, you didn't do it that way. He says, when you give to the needy, I'm going to explain, do not announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. There's a whole backstory I'm going to explain what's going on there. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees in secret, sees what is done in secret, will reward you. See, hypocrisy is the concern. Giving is just the example here. There could be a hundred other examples that Jesus chose to use. But hypocrisy is the concern. Giving is the example. Jesus calls us to be righteous when sometimes we just want to look the part. So let's go through the outline like we always do. If you're new here, if you're watching online for the first time, welcome to Back to Church Sunday. We are, the moment we're in has not paused the mission we are on. We have much to do. We want to announce the good news of the gospel. We want to help Christians grow in their faith. That's what we do here at Calvary, and I'm glad that you're here. But it's also a reminder that we don't want to look righteous. We want to live right. And there's a distinction between the two. So number one in our outline is true righteousness is not a show. True righteousness is not a show. Over the last few months, we've been making our way here at Calvary through the Sermon on the Mount. Recently, we finished chapter five, where we covered the Beatitudes. Uh, we talked about how to be salt and light. We talked about six examples of greater righteousness that Jesus gave. And this morning, we're going to look at a new chapter and chapter six. And as many of you know, the Bible wasn't actually written with these chapters, right? Chapters are a later addition to make it easier for us to find something, right? Think about trying to find something where there's no page numbers. Those didn't exist on scrolls. And think about finding something now without chapters and verses. So this is, but sometimes those chapter transitions can be a little unhelpful. Sometimes we see the chapter break says new ideas, whole new thoughts, but it's really it's really not. When we transition from Matthew 5 to Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking about the same idea, but somebody centuries later said, we need to break this down. This is chapter 5. This is chapter 6. If you remember, we talked just weeks ago um, about the centrality of Matthew chapter 5. What's the center of Matthew, of the Sermon on the Mount? Some might say the center of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Here's what it says. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for the sake of time. Matthew chapter 5 says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And it goes, verse 20, it says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's talking about a greater righteousness. And in that passage, Jesus points to the fulfillment of the law and kingdom righteousness and righteousness that's, ent that's necessary, right? Even to enter God's, God's realm must exceed or go beyond even the most religious people of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. And then beginning in verse 21, Jesus gave us six examples of what this greater righteousness looks like. And we've looked through each of those six examples. All of those are online. You can find all those things. So Jesus in chapter 6 is actually continuing the idea of pursuing kingdom righteousness, and it doesn't end in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. So just because your Bible says we're in a new chapter, chapter 6, and we are, doesn't mean the theme has changed. It's still this theme. So look at me at our passage for this morning. I'll put it on the screen. It's Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. Remember, six examples of greater righteousness Jesus just gave. This is the advantage of walking through books of the Bible, though I will tell you. 
it wasn't without challenge last week on the day after the anniversary of 9-11 to share a message on praying for enemies, loving your enemies, and praying for those who persecute you. But that's where the text brought us today. The text brings us to this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your fathers in heaven. So to answer the question, how can we live righteous lives? Jesus first shows us how not to do it. This is how you don't do it. You just don't try to look the part outwardly. Jesus is saying that doing the, wrong, the right thing, even in the wrong way, let me say it again, doing the right thing in the wrong way, with the wrong motives, is actually not the way of righteousness. So the passage is the beginning of another set of examples. It's going to be our new series, I Gotta Know. Listen straight from the words of Jesus. Another set of examples where Jesus teaches his followers what true righteousness looks like. It causes us to look inward at our heart, facing certain sins. Right? Even here, positive acts done in a wrong or negative way are not affirmed by our Lord. So we'll see how Jesus addresses the opponents of his day by looking at how they're wrongfully doing certain things like almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. So we're going to walk through these things together. Now, again, just a reminder, and if you're a guest here on Back to Church Sunday, first, we're glad you're here. This, you know, the first part of the service wasn't such a normal part of the service. We normally don't have to share such announcements, and we normally don't have an announcement of a, um, of a pastoral candidate. So you be praying. Next week's a big Sunday for us. You be praying. You be here. Many of you know uh, Pastor Dr. Abraham Joseph wants you to be here, be praying, be supporting his, as he's walking through this journey with us, be here and be in support. Um, and, and be encouraged. I'll be encouraging to him to, to hear from us gathered here together as well. Um, so, though we kind of normally have more music and more worship, either way in this, we want to point people to Jesus, and that's a big part of our theme ongoing. So, Jesus tells the people here, don't obey God for the wrong reason. Don't obey God for the wrong reason. What could that reason be? Some sort of obligation? Is it to show off their obedience to others? Uh, and, you know, we might say nobody likes to show off, right? Nobody likes to show off. And this is, in some ways, what Jesus is pushing against. He says, don't practice your righteousness in front of others. Now, don't miss this. Sometimes practicing religion is culturally acceptable. Now, here in New York City, that's not as common. Uh, I, I, grew up, I grew up here, so I'm kind of familiar with the cultural context. But before we moved to Chicago, which is more like New York in a lot of ways. We lived in Nashville where being religious was kind of the thing. You would um, be culturally affirmed if you did religious things. Um, and, and everyone went to church or at least said they did and everyone said they loved Jesus whether they did so or not. I remember standing in the line at a grocery store in Nashville. I was the interim pastor of a church uh, called First Baptist Church of Hendersonville, Tennessee. And they called me the Yankee Interim. That's what they called me there. We got this Yankee Interim. Sometimes I put a word before that as well, but I won't share that with you. Um, so I was the Interim. I was actually filling in for the pastor while he recovered from surgery. He didn't recover. He actually died. And so I went from doing an eight-week series to being the interim for two years, and it was a, it was a large church, right? It had 9,000 members. So it was a large southern church, and, and I was, I, and people said, y'all, and I was, I was fixing to try to fit in, and it was a challenge for sure. 
So one day, I was standing in a grocery store line, and as I like to do, I try to start conversations. Now, I know that that's not acceptable in every place. You can't do that at your local Duane Reedy. I get it, so, though I still try. Um, so I'm having a conversation, which in the South is much more culturally acceptable. So I'm standing in line. It's a long line. Uh, I think it was one of those lines where it was 10 or less, and nobody has the ability to count anymore. So I said to the woman, I said, hi, great. Um, I, I can't, I'm trying to remember, the, I don't even know how the conversation started, but, but at some point it got into, so, um, so you know, do you, do you go to church anywhere? Go to church anywhere, not an uncommon thing. You go to church anywhere, had spiritual, start a spiritual conversation with her. And she said, oh yes, I go to, and then she mentioned where I'm serving as the interim, First Baptist. And she said, I really love that brother Glenn, that was the former pastor's name, who died a year before we were standing in line at the grocery store. Now, it's kind of an awkward moment because I had to decide, do I fill her in on the death of the beloved pastor that she hasn't seen for over a year, but she thinks he's attending every week? But there's a sense that people want to say in some cultures, I am religious. So, Sometimes when cultural practices are the religious norm, like here, one's honor and standing in the, Old, in the New Testament is tied to religious activities, and it creates a cycle where some people want to practice their religion in front of others for the praise of others to maintain uh, more and more, this is from Pennington, more and more of their social status. But, so what happens is, that's what happens then, right? And actually, that can be true in a church culture where religious activities, rather than just being humble and godly, create kind of an epidemic of sometimes very gifted church leaders who've fallen, who've, who've actually been praised for their ability and lost their ministry because of their character. So the key phrase in this passage is, to be seen by them. them. Now here's the challenge, right? This is their motive. You've got to make sure their motive. Why are they doing those? What they're doing wasn't wrong. It was good. What they're doing is not wrong. It's righteous. Righteously lost because it's applied poorly. To be seen by them. So Jesus is warning them against that outward religious practice, which if you've been here for a few months, you remember in Matthew 5, 16, um, in this verse, he instructs his disciples to let your light shine before others. So it's not bad for people to see us doing good it's when it's to be seen by them. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So it's not bad to do good things that people may see. It is bad to do good things so that people may see. You see the distinction between the two? It's an important distinction. For me, every time, you know, we're using these baskets now for the offering which is kind of new. It's kind of a, I'm assuming it's new, Jim. We didn't do that before, right? All I know is it is like every time they bring out the baskets, I go back to, to seven-year-old little Eddie Stetzer at St. Bernard's right on Long Island because that's how they would do it at the Catholic Church. And not only do I remember that, right? So, but I remember that because what I remember is, is there was this woman, just happened to be a woman, and she would take her little offering thing when that came by, and she made sure everybody saw it go into that basket. She'd lift that, whatever. I don't even remember the dollar. It could have been a dollar for all I know. But she lifted that bad, uh, that Benjamin up, whatever it was. It might have been a Washington. I don't know. And just dropped it right in the offering basket. 
So it's funny. So for me, this seeing those baskets come by, and I will tell you that um, sometimes, it doesn't matter the religious tradition, practicing your righteousness in front of others is, is easier. There's an unmistakable difference between righteousness for the sake of self-praise and righteousness that causes others to praise God. Don't miss that, though. Let me say it again. There's an unmistakable difference between righteousness for the sake of self-praise and righteousness that causes, causes others to praise God. And the difference is often the motivation of the heart. The reward that comes from the Father is an eternal reward. Whereas the reward that comes from self-praise, look at me, is a temporal one. Jesus calls us to be righteous when sometimes we just want to look the part. Number two, self-righteousness has to go. Now let's, let's just be honest here. Saying this at a Baptist church might catch some people's attention. Because sometimes we as Baptists have the reputation for being self-righteous. Now, I don't want you to miss that because I'm a Baptist, right? I'm a Baptist just like Jesus and all the disciples were. Right? Second Opinions chapter 4 verse 11 says that. But sometimes we have a reputation for judgmentality and self-righteousness that if is evident truly in our lives is not reflective of the values of Jesus. Jesus calls us to be righteous when sometimes we just want to look the part. And Jesus lays out, Jesus lays out how to conduct acts of worship, reminding his listeners that the attitude and intent of the heart is central for kingdom honoring greater righteousness. He actually gives an example. Remember, it's the example, right? The issue is hypocrisy. The example is giving. He gives an example of a common religious practice of the day, which I know seems so foreign to us, but let's look at what happens. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward in full. Remember, hypocrisy is the concern. Giving is the example. And listen, I don't want you to miss this because it, it's just, I know it seems like such a strange practice, but... There's something about people who love a stage. People love a live stage. You know, we're not far from, from Broadway and shows all around here, right? Um, but there's something compelling about, um, to actors who want to be on a live stage. Maybe that's why Broadway attracts stars from other places, right? Like uh, Scarlett Johansson, Hugh Jackman, or non-actors like boxer, boxer Mike Tyson or NFL great Eddie George. They, they want to be somehow in front of people on a live stage. And I'm not against that. We love those things, right? Remember, actors are merely playing a part. It's their job to convince us, especially when they're known for something else. I can't see Hugh Jackman without thinking of Wolverine. Is that what it was, Wolverine? Yeah. So um, they want us to ignore who we think they are and to believe that they're somebody else. They want us to ignore who we think they are and believe that they're somebody else. It's fine for Broadway, but it's not what the Bible teaches us to be as followers of Jesus. And the word, in ancient in classical Greek, the word uh, hypocrite was actually a positive term. I know that seems very strange, but it's actually a positive term referring to an actor like on Broadway. The New Testament uses the term negatively, and in that day they would have used the term negatively. It was originally a positive term, referring to someone play acting in real life. So a, a hypocrite is someone who acts in a way to convince they are something other than they really are. We pay people to do that on TV and in the movies and on Broadway, but we know that they're acting. 
Jesus calls it differently. Hypocrites, really, Jesus was bothered and clearly concerned about hypocrisy. We see him showing concern consistently to people who were struggling. The people caught in adultery, the people who were living sinful lives, right? Just the, the paralytic, the, the, the Samaritan, Samaritan woman, and more. But he had little patience for people like scribes and Pharisees who lived hypocritical lives. Hypocrisy, though, is a natural result of self-righteousness. Whereas humble service, by the way, is a natural result of righteousness. Jesus spoke strongly and consistently about hypocrites and spiritual posers. People who are acting spiritual. Now, I don't want you to miss this, right? Um, now, 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 remember the story of Ruth in the, um, in the Old Testament. The story of Ruth, she was widowed and following her widowed mother-in-law to Israel, she's permitted to harvest grain on the edge of the fields because the Old Testament had a command that some grain was to be left specifically for the poor to pick up. And the clearest example of this command is in Deuteronomy 15, 11. It says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. Right? So this became a way, this became like a social, social safety, a welfare, uh, a social welfare net for the poorest of the poor. But what's happening now is this is being abused by the self-righteous. I need to give you a little background so this example makes sense. So Jesus is not rejecting the service of giving. He's actually already endorsed it in Matthew 5.42, a few weeks ago in our text. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who could borrow from you. We walked through some of that complexity a few weeks ago. In fact, Jesus actually expects his disciples to give to the poor. Not if you give to the needy, but when you give to the needy. So this doesn't mean a lot of things that people read into it. But in your giving, Jesus says it shouldn't be announced like the hypocrites do. And it's actually, there's some debate about what it means to announce it with trumpets. It's probably a little doubtful that Jesus' um, opponents, the hypocrites here, literally announced it with trumpets. Um, it's, it's probably um, unlikely that it was used in the sense of tooting your own horn, right? It's probably unlikely in that sense. Most likely, it refers to the practice of blowing trumpets before a, a fast, at which time the offering for the poor would be taken and people would take notice. But whatever its precise meaning... Um, those who made their giving did so in public ways, right? In public ways, in the synagogues, and in public places in the streets. So whatever it is, people are seeing it. And the idea Jesus rejects is drawing attention to your giving. That's what hypocrites do. And in modern lingo, we think of a hypocrite as someone who pretends to be one thing when they're really another. The hypocrisy is made clear by the phrase, right? They want to be honored by others. They want to be honored by others. They want to receive the praise, generally, of fellow hypocrites. And Jesus said they've received their reward in full. They've received their reward, reward in full. They don't have a clue that the fullness of the heavenly reward can be received, can be blessed as followers of Jesus. And still, there seems to be a sense when it comes to giving that you can't take it with you, but in some way, you can send it on ahead. Tre reward, storing up treasures in heaven. I, I used to pastor a church in Erie, Pennsylvania, and right across the street was a cemetery, and I would watch five cemetery trains go by a day. Trains is the wrong term. Five seminary processionals go by a day. And so I'm an expert on what, on what cemetery. Did I say seminary? I think I said seminary. Sometimes people go to the seminary and it feels like a cemetery. Um, 
I saw on average five cemetery processionals a day, and I can tell you I'm an expert on them. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. But what Jesus is pointing out to them is you're getting all your reward right now. Remember, Jesus is speaking to them about their hypocrisy. You remember, too, that the book of Matthew is kind of written to religious people. Maybe you might say it's written to the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. And when Jesus found someone who lived loving his money that much, he goes right to the heart of the matter. Here's what he says in Matthew 19, 21. Jesus said to him, if you'd be perfect, go sell what you possess, give it to the poor. You'll have your treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. So Jesus calls us to be righteous when sometimes we just want to look the part. Hypocrisy is the current concern. Giving is the example, which leads us to number three on our outline. Kingdom righteousness gives when no one knows. Kingdom righteousness gives when no one knows. Jesus calls us to be righteous when sometimes we just want to look the part. Remember here, hypocrisy is the concern. Giving is the example. So Jesus opposed sacrificial giving, even sacrificial giving, when it was hypocritical giving. Seeking the praise of others. And he instructs his followers on the way the righteous give to others. Here's what he says in Matthew 6, 3 and 4. It says, but when you give to the needy, when, not if, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that it may, your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, many people, particularly people who take every example and just say it has to be completely, completely literal. I've actually said one person, I keep my right hand in my pocket and I give it my left hand. I said, just so you know, your right hand still knows. So the point is, it's an example that Jesus is using. It's a word picture that Jesus is using. That this is, instead of announcing to the world, give quietly. Give quietly. It's simple. When you give to the needy, instead of putting on a show, don't let people know. Instead of putting on a show, don't let people know. Don't blow a trumpet. Don't make sure your gift is recognized as coming from you or announced in the street. Be discreet. Now, it's interesting. In his uh, book, Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And one of the things he said that I always thought was fascinating was he argues that secrecy is a spiritual gift. Not in the bad sense of the word, but this is a biblical example of such secrecy, of doing something when nobody else knows. So Jesus says to his followers, not let their left hand know what their right hand is doing. Again, not intended to be a specific literal application, but it's a clear application, isn't it? In other words, do it in secret. Take them literally would mean, for example, never give a tithe in anything other than cash. Because then people you know, don't get an annual giving form or you don't get to deduct from your taxes or wherever else it may be. Or for that matter, we have to maybe cover our faces with masks. That would be crazy. Or not in 2021. But the thing is this. It's, it's, think of it in secret in contrast with trumpet blowing. Different motives. So in secret, allows that you're not practicing for the praise of others. Right? You're doing it for the glory of God and the good of others. So, so again, um, so the point is to do it to as much secrecy as you can. So it's not about you receiving the praise, but it's about God receiving the glory. Do you follow me? It's not about you receiving the praise, but it's about God receiving the glory. Which leads us back to Matthew 6, 4. Your father 
who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, this is a recurring theme throughout the Bible. Remember, giving is just the example, but your father still sees what is done in secret. I want you not to miss that. Because giving is just the example, hypocrisy is the concern, and your father still sees what you're doing in secret. So let's not make giving the only example. If you're coming to church and talking about this or that or pretending you're living this way and that way, but in secret you're living another way, your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So all of the things that you are doing in secret, your father knows. So giving is just the example. There could be a hundred different applications. Kingdom citizens don't do righteous acts to gain a reward, but they also don't live secret lives that are different than their public lives. And isn't that what's been heartbreaking for us in the last couple of years with some Christian leaders? I mean, I can name the names. Um, but there were secret lives. And it's shocking to us because they were Christian leaders. And so what's the right answer? Well, lots of things. First, let's not put our trust in, 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 in men and women alone. Or let's hold people accountable. Let's create systems and structures of accountable so that leaders can't run amok like that. But here's the reality. I don't have that much influence on pastors that I've never met that I didn't know. Even though someone like Ravi Zacharias might make global news. Breaks our hearts. So I can advocate for greater systems of accountability. I can say, okay, and I and you can make sure that we too are not living secret lives. Though again, the character of his actions is quite different than what we might be talking about. But, but what is not to miss this, right? So here's what I can do. I can be warned as the hypocrisy of others comes to light that it, what I do in secret, my father still sees. What you do in secret, your father still sees. So Jesus calls us to be righteous when sometimes we just want to look the part. Giving is just the example. Hypocrisy is the concern. So I'm suspecting that some of you today are not Jesus followers. And I want to say to you that you probably still have parts that you want to look more righteous than you actually are. Um, so it's true for all of us, right? Those of us who are followers of Jesus are called to align our private lives with our public lives in integrity. For the first few years after Jesus died the, and was resurrected, his followers were called the followers of the way. Of the way. It was actually in the city of Antioch when they started first being called Christians because they were acting like Christ. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. It's to act like Christ. Jesus calls us to be righteous when sometimes we just want to look the part. Remember, hypocrisy is the concern. Giving is the example. We are called to imitate him, to be like him, to follow his teachings, but to be conformed into his image. In 1 John 4.20 it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's hypocrisy, right? Jesus keeps pointing us. Jesus is filled with grace towards sinners, but filled with rebuke to those who are religious hypocrites. Jesus afflicts the comfortable, but comforts the afflicted. So hypocrisy is key. Titus 1.16 warns us, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable and disobedient, unfit for any work. So, so hypocrisy gets consistently called out. They profess 
but they deny in their personal lives. And this is the danger of religion. The danger is a religion for show. It says in Mark 7, 6, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I want us to be people who honor the Lord with our lips and our heart is near to him. Jesus calls us to be righteous. When sometimes it's just easier, sometimes it just works for us, sometimes we like instead to play the part. Now the reality is, Jesus is coming back. We don't know the day or the hour. Jesus is coming back and when he comes back, he will indeed um, judge all these, these things. So the hypocrisy of our heart will be made clear when Jesus returns. You see, Jesus is coming back, and six minutes after I got my first notice, I got this. Please meet Jesus at your pickup point. That's a little intimidating, isn't it, right? What does that mean? Now, again, it wasn't really Jesus, since Jesus would have shown up in one accord. Dad jokes for the win. But Jesus is coming back and he's calling us to be ready. But to be ready means having a greater righteous than simply religion for show. She has a clear promise. Luke 12, 3 says this. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. But there's this one thing. Jesus really wants us to get the things out of our lives that undermine the integrity of our faith. He doesn't want to condemn us for hypocrisy. He wants to change us so we're not hypocrites. Um, here's the thing I want you to hear. Instead of trying to do the things that religious people expect you to do, or doing the things you know that religious people should do, so you might receive empty praise from people, why not instead practice this greater righteousness that Jesus is talking about? Get to know him. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Seek kingdom righteousness that honors God. We obey him, and the right actions flow from our new life in Christ. Let me just say this. It's actually easier, I think, to look godly than to actually be godly. It's unfortunate, but it is. But the emptiness of hypocrisy never provides the hope and peace that we'd like. So I want to invite you, I want to invite me, to instead of looking godly, seek to grow in Godliness and righteousness, because Jesus calls us to be righteous when sometimes we just want to look the part. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would help us and remind us that outward religion is not the call of God on our lives. Um, a show of righteousness is not what you have for us. But a life changed by the power of the gospel. Father, I pray for those who are joining us online. I pray for those who are here, maybe guests today, and we're so thankful for them on Back to Church Sunday. Father, I pray that you might speak to the hearts of all of us here. For those who are followers of Jesus, that you might burden us with a desire to get out what needs to get out of our life and to put in what needs to be in our lives. Father, for those who don't know you, I pray that you might, might be working in their hearts right now to open their hearts to your truth. That even as they, we all try to look better than we live, I, I pray that instead that they might know they need a new life. Not to turn over a new leaf today, but they need a new life that comes from receiving by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel. So Father, 
may you remind us again and again that this struggle is a struggle for God's glory and for our good. And that ultimately you'd cause us to grow to be more like Jesus. Less like an actor and a hypocrite and more like Jesus. Changed and being changed in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.